Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Kirby, the Oregon Ducks beat reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Uh, welcoming you back to another edition uh, of the program. We're uh, coming off a bye week. Obviously, we're not going to be getting too much into game review um, since there wasn't one, both for Oregon or for UCLA, uh, the top 10 opponent and marquee matchup for this weekend ahead. So we'll be all about uh, taking a look ahead to uh, the matchup, to some of the things to pay attention to. Um, and obviously, yes, uh, plenty of the hoopla around it. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all that. Uh, I mean, look, it's fun. It's fun for fans. It's fun for, and part of what makes college football unique is that uh, that part of what creates the environment and the excitement around a big game weekend is things as, you know, so seemingly, uh, um, I want to say small exactly, but that don't necessarily have anything to do with the game as terms of where a pregame show is. Um, that's fun. And what's, you know, what's the harm in that kind of thing? Uh, hey, I, I'm not saying I'm going to be there at the, you know, four o'clock in the morning to see the college game day set, but for, uh, especially for college students when it's on your campus, uh, when you're a student, you have finite opportunities for that. Uh, over the span of four or five years. You just do. And when game day hasn't been to Eugene since 2018, and, you know, so for a lot of the students who are here, it's obviously a great opportunity, um, regardless of what the weather looks like. And I hope that the the forecast changes for folks, both whether you're going to game day or you're just going to the game or both or whatever. I, I hope it certainly changes as of uh, as of recording on Tuesday afternoon that, uh, that Saturday ends up holding out a little bit better uh, by way of that. But it creates for some fun and excitement. It does. Um, you know, for as great as the NFL is, nobody's losing their minds on a week-to-week basis among NFL fans in terms of whether or not the uh, pregame show or what studio show is coming to their stadium. I mean, it just it, it's not a thing. You know, it's part of the fabric of college football. Obviously, it's uh, quite the environment. Um, and obviously the folks at, uh, ESPN and college game, they do great work. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, an, an opportunity for Oregon to showcase itself as it was for UCLA last year in this game, uh, when they were on UCLA's campus and, uh, setting up, uh, you know, for the Rose bowl, uh, at the Rose bowl, uh, for the game, uh, between the ducks and the Bruins last year. So, uh, marquee opportunity, hard to believe that this is only the 18th top 10 conference game in the Pac-12 slash Pac-10's history in the last 36 years. And that is that is really hard to believe, quite honestly. Um, when you consider and remember, you know, exactly how good, you know, Oregon's been for the last 20 years, when you consider how good Stanford has been for the last 10, 15 years, when you consider how good US, uh, USC was, obviously in the early 2000s, um, that alone makes it just hard to fathom. Uh, and Washington's had its moments and plenty of others. But point is, is you just go, how in the world uh, have there only been that many opportunities, that many big games uh, in conference play in this conference for, you know, like I say, 35, 36 years? It's, it's really hard to believe, but it is. Uh, so having said all that, whether it's part of the game day environment whether it's uh, just the buildup ahead of a game, like I say, that's part of the fun. And embrace it. Enjoy it. 
Uh, look, you know, we're not that far removed from a time where fans couldn't even be at stadiums. Fans couldn't even go to games. You know, we're two years removed from when the season had no competitive integrity. Now you're back. Stadiums are packed. Tremendous environments all across the country. And here you're going to have, you know, it's been a sold out game well before they learned about college game day coming to Eugene. So embrace that you're going to, we're all going to have an opportunity, whether you're going to the game or watching the game from home, to see something that you don't see every day in this league. You just don't. I wish wish you saw it more frequently, but you don't. Uh, So embrace that you're seeing, yeah, a top 10 matchup. Yeah, there's some fun storylines. Yeah, there's going to be some great on-field clashes between strengths on strengths and those things. And we'll get into those a little bit. And we'll chat about it uh, with UCLA beat reporter uh, James H. Williams of the Orange County Register, uh, who will be kind enough to join us here uh, as well. And we'll get a, his perspective on things uh, for Saturday's matchup. But to go over briefly, like I say, and set up for you uh, and to set up for a conversation uh, with James Williams, some of the things that are uh, intriguing to me in this game in particular. First and foremost, like all big games, just like, frankly, you see in the NFL. This is a battle of quarterbacks. This is a battle of two experienced, veteran, longtime starters. Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, for many, many years now, all at UCLA. Bo Nix having transferred from Auburn to Oregon and both having great seasons so far. Showing the value of experience in DTR's case, the value of experience and continuity in one system. In Nix's case, the value of experience and some familiarity with the system that he was joining uh, and coming out to Oregon. When you have games where two quarterbacks who are playing at a really, really high level are going at it, yeah, they're not playing each other. As we all know, but nevertheless, that is part of you know that's that's part of how a game is built, is when the two quarterbacks are really really good, really accurate, really efficient, uh, and in this case, both have the ability obviously to pose really big threats uh, with their mobility and and uh, ability to extend plays, ability to really hurt a defense in the run game. That's a lot. Uh, so yeah, they may not be playing each other and defending against each other. Uh, but how they play is de facto playing each other uh, in a big way. It's always easy to say in these kind of matchups, well, whichever of the two quarterbacks is the better night. Maybe, maybe, particularly if the forecast does hold true and, and conditions stink. Yeah, maybe who makes a mistake, ball security, um, fumble, you know, any number of factors could be something to that effect. Sure. You have a battle of strengths both ways and that these are two of the best running offenses and two of the best running defenses in the league. Class of strengths. Again, when you have a great matchup and a top 10 matchup, you want to see something like that. Well, you're going to have an opportunity to see it. I think personally that Oregon's offensive line is such a competitive advantage against any opposing front seven that it plays for the rest of the season. And ever since the season opener against Georgia, and obviously they more than held their own in that that game as an offensive line unit, even at 49 to 3. The offensive line was not the issue that day. That until and unless 
a Pac-12 opponent shows it is capable of consistently applying pressure, getting to Knicks, uh, creating holes, mismatches, and confusion along Oregon's front, until you're shown otherwise, you're going to have a hard time believing it. And look, UCLA at times was effective last year. At times, was effective. But remember, Oregon's offensive line, while also very good last year, also was down some players in this game last year. Alex Forsythe, chief among them. So, until and unless an opponent actually shows and goes out and proves that they got the better of that unit, I think you have to give the competitive advantage still to the Ducks' offensive line. So even on a battle of strengths on strengths, frankly, Oregon's offense, Oregon's running game, has proven more, even against inferior competition and really bad run defenses. And they've played three really bad. I'm not even counting Eastern Washington. They have played, of their five FCS opponents, three of them have really bad run defenses. I mean, really bad. Like bottom 10, bottom 15 in the country bad. So... If you didn't have that success, though, against inferior, vastly inferior competition, then we wouldn't be talking about how they have such an advantage. So they went out and they proved it against really inferior competition. They went out and did well against solid and really good competition in Georgia. Again, in moving the ball, we know what the score was. That now when they play a really good, statistically, defensive front seven, who statistically has backed up some things, but frankly, has not played an elite running game. It hasn't. Utah is not as good as it was a year ago in running the football. And now, you know, that's putting aside any any issues there with, with wherever Tavion Thomas is and his status at the moment. Talking about when they played them, you know, a week and a half ago. I wouldn't go by that. Washington, stop. Stop. So UCLA, as good as their run defense has been, again, in the in on not just on paper or numbers or any which other thing, it's going by what we've seen. What we've seen against comp against competition, good, bad, or otherwise. How do these actually match up? I think the advantage goes to Oregon. Well, when you factor in weather, when you factor in if the weather really stinks, if the if throwing the football is going to be a, a challenge. Well, I think even in a battle of strengths, Oregon's strength is stronger than UCLA's on that side of the ball. Now, conversely, I think UCLA is going to be able to run the ball with some success and effectiveness. I think Zach Charbonnet is the best running back that Oregon will play the rest of the way, regardless, again, of what goes on with Tavion Thomas or not. But by the time they play Utah, that's neither here nor there. Regardless, I think Charbonnet is the best running back they're going to play. Uh, I think, frankly, if his offensive line was even better, you know, he'd be even better, and that's saying something. Uh, I think he is a really tough test uh, and a tough guy to bring down. Runs through contact, welcomes contact, fights for extra yards. That's really tough. And when you combine him with a big and mobile quarterback like his DTR is, yeah, that's that's why that offense in part is really really good. You know, 
you pair those two together, that there's a reason why they're each getting at least some hype for the Heisman Trophy right now. And Saturday will be a factor in how all parties are perceived going forward in that regard, uh, collectively as teams and uh, as individuals in the case of uh, DTR and Charbonnet in particular, and next for that matter. So I think they'll have some success there, but just as we're talking about who UCLA faced on one side of the ball, well, frankly, they haven't faced a not just front seven, but particularly linebacking core as good as Oregon's. And even though Oregon hasn't necessarily faced a individual running back as successful and as good as Charbonnet, combined with the quarterback in particular, they did play some pretty good running backs against Georgia. And again, put that aside for that overall outcome aside. Ever since then, they've played much better. Their run defense is obviously really, really, really good. I do think that even in the battle of strengths on strengths, as it's shaping up heading into it, I think Oregon has an advantage on both sides, even if it's slight. I think it has an advantage going in in the battle of strengths on strengths. Now, in the battle of strengths on weaknesses, (laughs) that's where I actually think the game will ultimately be decided. The strengths on strengths is fun. The strengths on strengths is, you know, that's that's where a lot of hay is going to get made. Let's not kid ourselves. But I'm not sure that either run game's success is ultimately going to be so dramatic or so vast um, by comparison to the other that it ultimately determines the game. I think the thing that will determine the game is the strength of each team against the you know relative weakness of the other. And UCLA is one of the most efficient and effective offenses at completing on first down, moving the ball on first down, um, and really high degree of accuracy, moving the sticks, all those things. Well, um, you combine that with a third down offense that's also extremely good. And that's a lot. That's a lot to try to stop. You got two really good players. They help lead an offense that moves the ball very effectively, not just in general, but staying uh, staying on schedule, staying ahead of the sticks, staying out of second and long, and then getting into third and manageable and third and short and converting at a really, really high rate on third down. Well, what's the number one problem facing Oregon's defense? For as good as they are in the run game, their pass defense is not good statistically, even at times where they've improved, even at times where individually they have some really good performances. They have not had a collective great performance. And in part, and mainly, it is because they cannot get off the field on third down. Can't do it. They have struggled all season, not just from the 9 of 10 against Georgia. And I don't, again, I throw aside the FCS stuff. I don't don't look at those statistics one way or the other. They have not done well at getting off the field on third down, including in distances to where statistically you are supposed to be at an advantage. 
that not only is that not sustainable, and we talked about this again on, on the podcast last week even, those are things that you can't sustain that, sustain success while doing that. It's, it's not possible. You cannot be a team who plays for conference championships or more and are unable to get off the field on third down at the level that Oregon is presently struggling to do so. It doesn't work. They are 129th in third down defense out of 131 FPS teams at just a hair over 50%. In other words, the majority of the time opponents are converting. You aren't going to win. You're not going to win against better teams doing that. And you're not just playing a top 10 team. You're not just playing a team with two Heisman contenders at the midpoint of the season. You aren't just playing a fifth-year starting quarterback and a veteran running back. You're doing all those things, and yes, you're doing it at home, but you're doing it against an offense that is absolutely, I don't want to say unstoppable and oversell this here, but they are playing extremely well. They are in sync with each other, clearly. Their connection on offense from a play caller to quarterback, quarterback with the running back and the O-line all together with with members of the receiving core, not much isn't, you know, isn't going really well. UCLA has a lot going for it offensively right now. And it's staying ahead of the chains. It's converting. They're fourth in the country in third down conversions. And okay, even against a, a com, you know, comparatively speaking, not that strong a schedule. Well, you, if you just take the three games that, it, that UCLA has played against FBS teams with winning records right now, So throw out half the schedule for all, you know, okay, fine. Well, they're fifth in the country in third down conversions in that case. And three of the four teams in front of them only have a one-game sample size to go off of based on the criteria that it be only against FBS teams with winning records. And that's Ohio State, Georgia, South Alabama, and North Carolina are the four teams in front of UCLA on third down conversion rate against FBS teams with winning records. And some of the other teams in the top 10, Clemson, Ole Miss, Michigan, BYU, Washington. That's a pretty good area of the Monopoly board to be on. High rate on third down conversion against winning FBS teams. Funny how that correlates to teams with really good records as a whole. The vast majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. When you keep the sticks moving and you have success, not just against really bad teams, but against good ones, yeah, you're going to win a lot of football games. We don't have to overcomplicate this. This one really could be simple. It could be as simple as, all right, strength on strength, who has a slight edge? Who has a slight edge? Oh, well, ball security is always, always at a premium. And then if the weather stinks, and I hope it doesn't, but if it does, how does that factor in? There will be all kinds of fun individual matchups. It should be a great environment at Hudson Stadium, regardless of what the weather ends up holding. I 
I don't think very much will put a damper on it. I don't. I don't think any weather situation thrown this way will will impact the generally ruckus environment for this one. It's a tremendous opportunity both ways. And before we get to our conversation with James Williams uh, of the Orange County Register to get into the Bruins, I say it's a big opportunity. For Oregon, a win, and you get to 6-1, and one, and you're 4-0 in the league. And yes, you still have some big games ahead by way of there's the Washington game and a rivalry game. Yes, there's Utah and what Utah did to Oregon in its season last year. Except we don't know exactly what's going on with Tavion Thomas right now, but worry about that by the time you play him. It's going back to Berkeley even a week from now, and hey, that's always a tougher game than it necessarily should be. Going to Berkeley two years ago wasn't exactly a pleasant experience for Oregon, even if most of the team is different by comparison, and even if most of Cal's roster is different as well. It's a game that's just always played more competitively than necessary. So you can't look past anything. If you get the 6-1 and one and your 4-0 and league play. Lose? All right. Lose, and at 5-2 and two, and 3-1, and one, well, at that point, you can completely rule out the playoff. Not that I think that the playoff was uh, a huge uh, percentage at the point, but you know, a top 10 win would certainly improve whatever chances do exist, for sure. But a second loss at that point, you can, you can call it a day on that. But you're still very much alive to make it to the conference championship game, and if you're doing that, then you have an opportunity to play your way into the Rose Bowl. So a win... And there's a ton of upside. And yes, whatever faint chances there still are for a playoff opportunity are alive and and may get quite the uh, shot in the arm, proverbially speaking. Lose. And it's not devastating to the the, uh, conference championship hopes necessarily. But... Obviously, you know, we we know where Ducks fans are going to fall on the... uh, the, On the zero-sum nature of things. For UCLA, win and UCLA will be at a height as a football program that it hasn't seen in forever, in eons, since they will have been at that point, with only one truly daunting game left on its schedule and the matchup with USC. Because the rest of the way, it's entirely possible that UCLA may not play a team that's going to a bowl game other than USC for the remainder of the regular season before a trip to Las Vegas. Lose? Lose and UCLA could still, again, still very much make it to Vegas. And I can't absolutely say they'd be out of the playoff with one loss, but again, because of the same situation. All right, well, lose to Oregon, but what if they actually played through beat USC, got to the Pac-12 championship game at 11-1, and and avenged that loss to get to 12-1. and Would they really be left out? I just don't know if the relative quality of UCLA's schedule and quality of wins at that point will stand the test necessarily. But, again, worry about that at a later date. For now, a marquee matchup of literally historic proportions for the league. Uh, 
particularly where you got to remember still this is college football. And yeah, the majority of people in the stadium are not college age by way of fans, but we're alums. Do remember what it once was to be college age and be in the student section. And for those who are of that age and who have that experience, you hope for a great college football Saturday. It's part of what makes all this fun, the pageantry and all the rest of it on the outside. And heck, for the players on the field, even if they, you know, they can, like plenty have talked about this week, they acknowledge the reality, but you don't overburden yourself with the, with the reality. But playing in these kinds of matchups is exactly what you aspire for and hope for as a player. Well, now it's here. It's a great opportunity on Saturday. Uh, it should be, again, a great environment regardless of the weather. And I say again, I hope, I hope, I hope <laughs> that it holds, <laughs> that the forecast does not hold true. Uh, and that uh, the expression uh, holds true rather uh, than the forecast at the moment. But with all that said, we'll get into and certainly uh, get into the game more with uh, James Williams here of the Orange County Register in a moment. For those of uh, you who already do subscribe to the podcast, we thank you. For those who don't, remember to do so. Uh, Subscribe, like, five-star review, comment, all that fine stuff. It helps more people to find the podcast. Appreciate everybody who already does. Make sure to follow James Williams on Twitter at JHW Reporter, and we will uh, catch up after our conversation with James. We'll obviously go over next week this game one way or the other by way of outcome and set up for uh, what will be a fun game uh, the following week in Berkeley as well. But now we will chat with UCLA beat reporter for the Orange County Register, James H. Williams. Well, we welcome to this week's edition of the program, UCLA beat reporter for the Orange County Register, Mr. James H. Williams, who you can follow on Twitter, as always, at uh, JHW Reporter. Uh, Welcome to the show, sir. James, thanks for having me. Um, Always a pleasure to talk to you. How are you doing? Good, good. Likewise, man. Um, It's been a minute and uh, Mm -hmm. certainly looking forward to... uh, Obviously, as uh, all, all the fans are, uh, you know, it's pretty fun in our line of work uh, when there's a top 10 matchup like this because, uh, yeah, it doesn't happen every day. Uh, and it doesn't happen every day in the Pac-12. So looking forward to uh, going over this one a little bit with you and getting into it um, ahead of this one, which is obviously going to be a, a pretty big <laughs> pretty big game. Uh, obviously, extremely meaningful for both sides. And uh, when you add in game day and all the other fun and festivities around it uh, should make for quite the environment at Hudson Stadium on Saturday. Uh, for Ducks fans who haven't necessarily watched uh, every waking moment of UCLA uh, so far this season, James, give the uh, really broad picture perspective in that how is it that a team that lost its three best receivers off of an eight and four season, <laughs> one of them to Oregon, no yeah. less, mm-hmm. and Chase Coda, um, and lost several other pretty good players, you know, a lot of defenders, a um, uh, couple of, I believe, at least one offensive lineman uh, as well. Two. Yeah, there you go. Uh, how is it that a, a team that lost all that, uh, albeit, yes, with a returning, you know, fifth-year starter quarterback, returning really good running back, um, certainly, you know, UCLA has some talent there, but how is it that a team that lost what it lost off an 8-4 and four season uh, has gotten off to a 6-0 and start and is more productive, more efficient, more accurate, uh, and has two players who are getting some early Heisman hype uh, here at this point. How is it that they've done it? You know what, James? I think about this often, and I still kind of don't fully understand how they're doing it. Um, 
I think maybe the easy answer is Jerry Azanero is gone. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that might, that might be, I mean, it, it, I mean, again, I'm not sure. I mean, Justin Fry was the offensive coordinator. He's no longer here. He's at Ohio State. Um, some people were saying that Chip Kelly was still calling the plays then anyway. So I don't know how much of that has necessarily changed. I mean, he didn't hire an offensive coordinator, so he's calling his own plays. Um, you have a fifth-year quarterback with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, as you mentioned, two guys that um, you know continue to make a name for themselves. But yeah, they they lost some offensive linemen. Um, I think one of them got drafted. Um, two signed as or one signed as undrafted free agent, and then the other one, um, I'm not entirely sure if he got signed anywhere after the fact, but. Yeah, so they lost three linemen, actually, and um, I think they're good there just because they continue to have a, a hockey rotation of some sort. Um, but, yeah, the, it's the receivers, too. Um, and and, and the, the thing I've just kind of been chalking that up to is, um, one, Dorian, Dorian's kind of taking this approach of it's his pre-rookie season. Um, you know, obviously there is um, – some consideration of going into the NFL draft. He decided not to in return for this fifth year. Um, and I think he's definitely benefited by returning. And again, so um, his mindset of this just being a pre-rookie season, in a way it almost is because you don't have Greg Dulcich there, your tight end. You don't have Kyle Phillips. Obviously, we saw uh, what Greg is able to do in the NFL now that he's activated on the Broncos roster. But then also um, just, just the things Kyle Phillips has been doing during the, um, the preseason and leading up to this season. Uh, with the Titans. I mean, obviously those were some key pieces there. So, you know, it, it's just, maybe it's just a, a clean slate for him too, in terms of who he's throwing the ball to. Maybe it's not as predictable um, because it was kind of like, you're either throwing it to Greg or you're throwing it to Kyle or you're running the ball with Charbonnet or, or, or Dorian's running on his own. Outside of that, it's kind of like, you know, Chase Coda was the third option, but there was such a significant drop from Greg and Kyle to Chase that, I mean, it's it's just I don't know. He's just building chemistry with everyone, and everyone's kind of on an equal playing field. If that makes sense, I mean, it's not like he hated the other guys, but it was just he was he leaned on his two targets. Obviously, um, I think he was the same recruiting class as Kyle. Greg was practically his roommate for most of the time they were here together, so the chemistry was like anything um, he had with any of the other guys. But now it's just a clean slate for everybody and. And he's throwing the ball around to, to just about everybody. And it's kind of impressive and refreshing, at least from a reporting standpoint, to, to be writing some different names. Defensively, as you mentioned, yeah, they made the change uh, from Azanero, which was uh, something that UCLA fans are certainly um, really eager to see happen. Um, For years. And, and probably felt was, uh, <laughs> yeah, rather overdue. So um, they make a change. Okay. It's led to some. It's helped lead to some uh, improved yep. results, and uh, it also helps to have uh, you know an influx of transfers uh, on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball. But on the defensive yep. side, um, to have Latu, who I, I understand, yeah, he was he was basically for all intents and purposes ruled, you know, medically retired uh, yep. for all, you know basically uh, from mm-hmm. Washington, and to come in and continue his career and um, not just continue it, but be one of the more disruptive players in the Pac-12 so far this season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not even about, oh, is he exceeding expectation? I don't know what anybody's expectations would have been in the first place. I, I, that, um, you're it's, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's what, what, um, what has allowed for uh, a player to 
do this uh, in the manner in which he's been doing it and and how they use him. Uh, and that he's not just uh, an edge rusher on one side and that's it. Um, uh, you know, if you watch his highlight film, and obviously you've seen him throughout the whole season, mm-hmm. but for fans who can even just pull up the highlight film, I mean, he's getting sacks from all over the defensive line. Um, yeah. He may be an outside guy, but they've lined them up basically over the center at times. Um, they'll, they'll put him just about anywhere. Yeah, he. Um, I, that, I, I started to laugh there when you said it because you're right. I, I had no expectation from I, I mean, I just felt any, anything from him would have been good. I didn't expect him to be the key guy that he's turned out to be. And that's just because when you hear a guy's medically retired, you just, you know, you, you kind of know what the injury is. I believe it was a neck injury, but, um, you, you know, you just don't really know what you're getting. And I think even for the players in some of these situations, they don't really know, uh, what they're capable of to a degree. Yeah. I mean, sure. Um, you know, he, he can, he has said, you know, it, you know, it, he's changed some things in his life, you know, um, that and just continue to work as if every week was a game week leading up to this over like the last two years, he said. But um, until you get into live action, you don't really know what, what's going to happen. But for him, um, it, it's been pretty impressive. I think uh, a lot of that, you know, credit to uh, Chip Kelly gave credit the other day to uh, Coach Malloy, who I believe is coaching at Washington for some time and uh, was working with Latu, might have been his position coach, if I remember correctly. But um, obviously those guys are familiar together. Malloy comes over. And uh, Latu follows him over through the portal. Um, and then also the Murphy twins, who, who we could probably talk about here in a minute as well, transferring in from North Texas. Um, Chip Kelly credited Malloy for getting those guys over here to UCLA as well. So um, just a lot of the, a lot of what they have in that, that you know, kind of up front there on defense is a credit to Malloy. So, again, just with Latu, it's been pretty impressive. In, in, in a way, I kind of credit him. As, or, or I can kind of view him as this year's Charbonnet, where you get a guy out of the portal, um, you know, people kind of are excited about him, but you just don't really know until you see him and you start to see him and, and, he, and he's everything and then some of what you thought he was or could be. Um, so Lachie's been kind of a nice surprise because, again, I, you know, it was just kind of, oh, where's he going to fit in? How's it going to work? You know, I, I heard some, I heard the name come up, but we just never really even talked to him until like two or three weeks into the season. He wasn't showing up on the two deep. I think he's still not listed on the two deep at all. Um, I just kind of thought out of respect you'd put him on the two deep somewhere, but maybe that's to your point where, um, you know, they, they just, he's playing all over the place. He's not really listed anywhere at a, at a particular spot. It's just based on how they line up, who they're playing against from one week to another. So again, Latu continues to be a nice surprise. I'm, I'm blinking on the number off the top of my head, but I know he's second in the country in, in stats or at least tied. Um, I think it's like six and a half, if I remember correctly. So um, he's doing some things, and he's been a big part of what they're doing on that defense. Indeed. Um, how is it that they've gotten um, offensively, not just better, but the, the clear and obvious um, area uh, that they've really, really moved up? And it's credit to, to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, credit to Chip Kelly um, mm-hmm. in particular in that their first down efficiency and their first down accuracy in the passing game is, and it's off the charts. I mean, you got to call it what it is. It's absolutely outrageous. Yeah. I mean, they are, um, they are one of the best first down offenses, um, but passing first down offenses in particular uh, in the country. I mean, they're completing 78.7% of their passes on first down, mm-hmm. which is obviously highest uh, in the league, but, 
as I say, they're they're legitimately also one of the highest in the country. That I mean, they're the number two only to Michigan uh, in completion percentage on first down, and they've thrown ten touchdowns with no interceptions. Um, I mean, other teams that are kind of in that echelon right now this season are Michigan, Tennessee, TCU. Mm-hmm. Oregon's completion percentage on first down is very high. It's just that they have four touchdowns and four interceptions, uh, unfortunately for the Ducks. And they're still one of the highest in top 10 on first down completion percentage. So yep. just to give fans an idea, um, that's a really important situational split that, you know, everybody talks about, oh, you know, coaches, it's coach speak. Oh, stay on schedule, stay ahead of the chains. Well, UCLA is staying on schedule and they're staying ahead of the chains. <laughs> and that's that's how they're undefeated. How is it that they're doing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think the chemistry that, I mean, that just comes with being a fifth-year guy in Dorian, right? And I think he's leading it because, again, as we mentioned, they, they're changing parts. Um, but it all just starts with Dorian. And, and a lot of people would have thought, and, and I mean, maybe to some to some regard he still is, Zach Charbonnet would have been the one who, who's kind of the Heisman guy. But right now, all the buzz is just on, on DTR. And I just think his ability to, to lead the offense, he's familiar with the offense, and, and they just they just know what what they're going to do. Like, I don't know. It, 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 it's hard to say. It still kind of shocks me. And I've been covering the team for a few years. I mean, the offense was, um, you know, was scoring points last year and stuff and moving the ball at will, it seems sometimes, but uh, no, I'm good. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're just, they're just on another level. I mean, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I think it's just all kind of the chemistry that Doreen and, and Chip Kelly um, just kind of have at this point, because again, um, they lost so many significant pieces on that offense that uh, I thought they were going to take a step back. And I mean, this is a, this is just an offense in general where you didn't, didn't even think you were going to get Charbonnet and DTR back this year. It was a surprise that you got them back this year when I thought for sure they were both moving on, especially Charbonnet um, being a second, third round guy in the NFL draft in this past April. Last couple things for you, James. Um, in terms of setting up for this weekend in particular, uh, which is, I mean, we're here, we are halfway through the season. Obviously this is a major matchup. And I, I think both sides, both fan bases could say if their own team and then of the other team, quite frankly, they feel really good. Um, but they may not know everything. Uh, UCLA fans, I'm sure have, to be ecstatic if they're at six and oh, yeah. um and and no matter what happens this weekend still feel like they have a chance mm-hmm. to play for a conference championship and and maybe more um and oregon fans at five and one quite honestly that's exactly we were talking about it last go around on the podcast here but saying that's exactly where they should are supposed to be um so I, I don't think anybody has to talk about like they're overachieving or something no they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do um from a record standpoint uh but that said i don't think everybody has all the answers just yet because which is the real UCLA team is the real UCLA team, the team that struggled with South Alabama, who yes, Mm -hmm. has gone on to have a successful season and is probably going to do pretty well in its league, but is nevertheless a Sunbelt school. Uh, Or are they the team that had a really impressive showing against Utah? Uh, Is Oregon the team that got its doors blown off in the season opener or is Oregon the team that has been, much more efficient, much more explosive, mm-hmm. uh, and much less turnover prone in the game since, um, albeit with a still improving defense. Uh, I, I think both sides, like I say, can pose those questions. So I ask you, uh, who do you think the real UCLA team is, uh, and which which version is going to be showing up at Austin Stadium on Saturday? Yeah, that's a so 
that's a good question. It's again something I've just been thinking about because especially during that non-conference um gauntlet, right? No. Um just the just the non-conference games, they kind of struggled a little bit, it looked like. And um even the, the 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 way they came out in that bowling green game. I mean, yeah, it was a hundred degrees, yada yada, but um, you know, Bobo's doing punt returns and stuff and it's bouncing off his chest and different things and, and it just didn't look good. Um you know, and and I think they were just kind of trying to figure each other out still again when you have some different transfers, some new pieces, um, you know, and, and something, I mean, I, I them, them playing Washington on a Friday night, um, James, you probably know this too, it's just Pac-12 Friday night games, the, that's just a recipe for, for craziness uh, along the same lines of, of what you'll get on a Pac-12 after dark game, so. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I thought maybe, you know, Washington was either going to blow them out or, or, or what I, you know, you, you really don't know what to expect. And and I thought that defense was going to get tested and they kind of held their own against Michael Penix Jr. And stuff. And, you know, you hear going into that game, they're, they haven't been, uh, Michael Penix hasn't been sacked and number one offense. And, you know, it didn't phase them. They, they just played their game as if, as if it was South Alabama the week before, obviously, um, it looked a little bit more um, impressive just in terms of who they played against. But, um, yeah, I mean, part of me wonders how much different they would be. I mean, uh, we'll see how they are after the bye week. That's probably the biggest concern for me is they were just rolling so good with so much momentum, and they were playing the, those first two games against ranked opponents back-to-back. Um, are they going to kind of – are they going to rest on their laurels here a little bit now that they've had time to sit and think about it? much like they did between that LSU and Fresno State game last year, or um, are they going to keep going? So I think we'll have a better idea after that. But um, this team's headed in a, in, a, in a positive direction, in a direction they, they haven't seen since I started covering the team in 2019, that's for sure. What are some of the individual matchups you're looking forward to seeing on Saturday, James? What are some of the the this player against that player, this running back against that one, this receiver against this corner mm-hmm. kind of stuff. What, what are some of the, you know, the chess match, the game within the game stuff. What are some of the things that you're, you're looking at uh, right now that you, that you're kind of looking forward to seeing? Uh, one, just, just for me, one would just kind of be Chase Coda because it's Chase Coda and we covered him out here for a couple of years now. But uh, for me also another local guy, Upland high alum, uh, Justin flow. Uh, I'd love to see him get involved on, on, on a play when Charbonnet has the ball. I think that would be kind of fun to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, the secondary, obviously they lost a lot of guys in the secondary for UCLA. And I thought that would be a, a struggle for them. They even had a, a guy switch, you know, they had a senior transfer Aziz Hearn come in from, uh, Wyoming. It was started the first couple of games and they, they made him a second stringer and they moved up a guy that they had, um, come in out of high school and John Humphrey. So they, you know, they, you know, for all the, the hype on them bringing transfers in, they, they went to one of their own guys that they've developed and he's fit in nicely. And, you know, the secondary just continues to roll. I, they're almost looking better than they did last year when they had experienced guys that they had developed um, in, in years prior. And those guys moved on into the league. So um, the secondary has been well. I, I'd love to see how they do against some of these receivers. But, um, you know, obviously how Oregon can stop the run game, obviously Sewell and um in flow against against uh just dtr and charbonnet i think is a big one for me um i'd ask you the same question um james just you know especially for a guy like bobo with the link that he has as a receiver um you know he was 
they had Clark Phillips uh, in this Utah game, and, and even Clark Phillips didn't necessarily have answers for for what they did in the passing game. Um, what does Oregon have to try and stop a guy like Bobo? Yeah, I, I think they they have not so far. Um, they have not just completely uh, dedicated Christian Gonzalez to one guy and one guy mm-hmm. only in a game, and I, I think there's something to be said for that because ultimately if you do that then then you really become so predictable that right you you know an, an opposing coordinator can ultimately try to scheme around what you're what you're doing um they were pretty close to that at times uh against Arizona where they put him on Jacob Cowing a good bit mm-hmm. um but he did not cover Cowing exclusively and uh both in general in terms of who was covering Cowing and also in terms of, you know, who he covered throughout the night and when he was targeted, who he was covering. Um, it was a pretty good mix. And I say that to say Cowing is obviously really productive, but he's a small slot receiver and that's not what Jake Bobo is. Right. Um, but he did cover T-Mac and he's also 6'5". Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I asked Dan Lanning about that um, on Monday night about, hey, you know, how do you think Christian handled uh, the size differential and because uh, he's a pretty big corner but you know no corner is six foot five um, and, and how that may or may not translate and um, understanding that the offenses are different uh, that's that's a given um, but talking more to the size aspect and you know like most coaches are going to say yeah he had some good he had some bad you know had some you know areas mm-hmm. that he did pretty well he had some areas he can improve uh, okay um, so that's that's one that's interesting um I think Gonzalez against really any of the whoever the best receiver is on the opposing team any which time and and in this case look it's Bobo by production but you know somebody has to cover Allen and on yeah. every play too yeah. and you know just because uh, it may be Gonzalez frequently on one you know quite frankly I, I could draw up a plan that's perfectly legitimate that the majority of the time he's on Allen um, because of size because their their other corner in Tricos Bridges is six foot three and, and has a big wigs fan and um you know that that may make sense as well um I, I think they'll they'll obviously rotate looks and those sorts of things but uh intrigued by that certainly like I say I think the um I, I don't think this one has to be too complicated I think to your point you know talking about yes Noah Sewell and Justin Flo in particular uh when they're downhill against Charbonnet but you know, more than them, um, really the entire front seven, really the core of the front seven uh, mm-hmm. from Oregon's defense. You know, this is a, a strength on strength kind of a deal um, for both teams by way of, you know, they're both they're the two strongest run teams, they're the two strongest run defenses uh, in the conference. And not just in general in the conference, oh, it's inflated or something. No, you know, their numbers really stack up really, really nicely. So um, I, I think on that side in particular, because Charbonnet is a, a big guy to get down and you're talking about, not just uh, Sewell and, and Flo, but also uh, uh, Jackson LaDuke and Keith Brown and uh, Jeff Bassa. You know, linebacker. You know, this is a pretty deep inside linebacker core for Oregon, and and they're going to be tested, yes, uh, by a big running back. But at, you know, conversely, he's going to be tested by a very big, strong, and fast linebacking core that's probably the best that they're going to face this season. Mm-hmm. So, I think both ways the strength on strength aspect is intriguing on the ground and then when you talk about in the air um whether it's the Seaver matchups or just in general 
uh, with the quarterback uh, on each side against less so about an individual player in the secondary, more so, quite honestly, the opposing defensive coordinator Mm -hmm. um, and what they're trying to do to confuse the fifth-year guy um, or the fourth-year guy in the case of Bo Nix, the experienced senior multi-year starting quarterback. Um, I I think that's the matchup um, from the from the quarterback versus somebody perspective, mm-hmm. uh, both are pretty much dual threat guys uh, for all intents and purposes, or at least mobile enough to be you know major major threats there and pose enough of a threat to where um, you know it certainly stretches the defense. So really intrigued by all of it. Um, to to be honest, um, I, I think the one that may have the, now having said all that, that's if that's intriguing. That's fun to watch uh, for me inside the game. I think the ones that are ultimately going to decide it, um, that that really will will be the factors that that really swing the game. Uh, I'm not sure that other than you know if quarterback has a ton of turnovers necessarily, um, that that I'm not sure that the outcome will swing on any of those. I think those will just be really good back and forths at times. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately um, the thing that'll shift it is Oregon's offensive line is so far and away the best in this league and one of the best in the country. And UCLA has been, again, really effective defensively, but they haven't faced an offensive line like this. They just haven't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Oregon has played perfectly legitimate defenses. They played Georgia uh, yeah. in particular. <laughs> now, they've also played some really bad run defenses, in fairness. Um, but they've been good, and they've held up against anybody. Um, and, you know, on their schedule, by way of Georgia, by way of, all right, yeah, BYU's run numbers were bad, but they have had some moments. Um, but Washington State has generated a lot of disruption in the backfield. They didn't allow anything. Um, I don't care who you play. I don't care how bad Arizona is. Not allowing a tackle for loss is historic in nature. Um, so doing those things, hey, if you didn't do it against bad competition, you're not going to do it against good competition. Well, they dominated bad competition. They played well against really good competition. Well, now they're going to play really good competition again who hasn't faced tests as strong as they are I think that could sway everything uh, one way in particular. Conversely, I think the Oregon secondary in particular, uh, because of its challenges, frankly, throughout the season, particularly on third down, absolutely unequivocally has to play better, has to play better in coverage, has to uh, get better disruption and pressure in the front seven in order to get off the field on third down. Because otherwise... UCLA, just I'm pointing out Oregon strength on offense that UCLA has not had to face something as effective and, and whatnot. UCLA is the best third down offense in this conference and one of the best in the country. And they're the best first down offense in this conference and one of the best in the country. And Oregon can't get off the field on third down. So awfully hard. You know, those are two things of like, all right, we can talk about strength on strength is really intriguing and that's going to be fun to watch. Yes, it is. You know, it's also going to be the deciding factor, strength on weakness. That's yeah, that's right. the area that I think is going to be the thing that swings this game. But yeah, that's that's hey, that's why I like play it. Um, last thing, James. Uh, to the really big picture of it all, um, and, and and obviously uh, we talked about this on radio over the years, um, mm-hmm. but now that they're at six and zero, uh, so regardless of what happens Saturday, but give me an idea of what is the perspective, um, what is the big picture in Westwood these days of if Sunday morning this team is seven and zero, and the only thing with a major challenge left on their schedule is USC. Uh, are they, you know, are they, are, are they planning for, you know, are, are people head, uh, no longer hedging? Are they just outright buying their tickets to Las Vegas at that point? 
um, and and planning the uh, planning the trip for the Pac-12 championship game, and uh, you know booking booking their trips for uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl and uh, a trip to the playoff, or um, what's what's the feeling at seven and zero? And conversely, if they drop the six and one, uh, how big is the disappointment? Or are they you know hey, it's a, it's six and one, you're still alive, and and things are still okay. Um, I, I mean, you probably have some people who already bought their tickets out here just because of how excited they are. But no, um, I, you know, uh, maybe maybe it'll bring some of them down to reality a little bit if they do take a loss. But I think like even even just for me, like my whole thing for this, you know, this was the toughest stretch of the schedule, obviously, Washington, uh, Utah, Oregon. And for me, it was like, hey, you know, when two, you know, when two of these games, two of the three games. And I mean, that, that's, that's something, you know, you're headed in the right direction. Um, they've already won two games. Now um, we'll see what happens with the third game. If they, if they win this third game, I mean, they pass whatever expectation I had for them. Um, I, I, you know, obviously fans are always going to want the best for their team and assume uh, they're going to go undefeated, but um, yeah, I mean, they'll probably be a little disappointed because of the undefeated season will then be over. But at the same time, I think there's still a lot ahead of them. The one thing I've always kind of, uh, stress the fans on on my podcast or on Twitter or whatever is just um, hey it, you know they're playing well against these highly ranked teams or, or just these ranked teams and that's good and that's different and that's something that normally hasn't happened over the last three or four years but it's what are you going to do and how are you going to respond to some of these other teams later on in the season especially when you get on a roll of of hey we can beat this team hey we can beat this team I mean, because if, if it's going to be anything like what you did in the non-conference play, that's not necessarily a great thing because you let South Alabama hang around. Now, are, is South Alabama better than Colorado and stuff? Sure. I mean, they already played Colorado, but um, just the point being is, is don't start playing down to opponents after the fact. Don't take your foot off the gas pedal. Um, keep going. Like you're playing Oregon or Washington or Utah every week, even if it is Cal. Um, obviously, you know, USC is still a tough test in there, but um, how are they going to respond to USC uh, considering the opponent they have before and in, before and after, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing for me is, um, you know, you, you, you've won two of these three games already. Now, how is the team going to respond and do going forward? Because the most UCLA thing ever, and I have to be careful saying this because I'm here on the campus of UCLA <laughs> saying this around students, and I know they can hear me, but um, is is are they going to do the most UCLA thing ever? And stumble against a team they should beat easily, and, and I think that's that's where the disappointment would set in if you start getting some losses like that. So you're saying uh, UCLA is susceptible to uh, pulling a Washington State and, and yeah. cooking it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cooking it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, to be honest, it's like I just wouldn't be surprised by it. To be honest, like I, I just feel like undefeated. I mean, just considering the you know the seasons I've, I've seen covering this team. Undefeated. I mean, they, I've seen, you know, some of the Dorian and, and Antonio Mafia, they, uh, Mo Osling, those guys that have been here, uh, either while Jim Mora was here or right after Jim Mora left was, Hey, we started the season 0 and 5. Um, and now we're 6 and 0. And, and for them, you know, it's kind of like they've had better seasons in the first half of this season than they've had, you know, just <laughs> in some of their other seasons combined. So. They're off to a good start, and and I think uh, with guys like Dorian playing with the passion that he's playing with and stuff, um, he just wants to win. And and he's even said that in post game, it's like, I'm not trying to stop and be happy with being number eleven now, number nine in the country and stuff. 
he wants to be number one and he's not going to settle for anything less. So that's the attitude they need to have. And hopefully that's the attitude they have going forward uh, when, when it gets to Arizona State and Cal and stuff like that. Um, I do have a question or two for you, if you don't mind, yeah, Shane. Sure. Um, you know, I heard it's supposed to be raining and, and you know, p- potential thunderstorms out there. And that's just going off the weather report. Um, how, what, what are you guys hearing out there locally? And um, how do you think that can factor into some of what we see in the style of play for both of these two teams if, if rain is a factor? I was going to say, um, well, as we all know, um, you know, I, 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 far be it for me to uh, predict that the uh, weather forecast will be correct um, mm-hmm. at the moment. But right. uh, yes, it isn't. I, I, I can look at the uh, the forecast just as good as the next guy and say, mm-hmm. yeah, don't look good. Um, but uh, but again, you know, Oregon fans uh, listening will will. Um, absolutely let me have it if I don't say that, you know, it does never rain in Autzen Stadium. So, um, okay. uh, but, uh, <laughs> but having said that, no, look, I mean, if it's, if the forecast holds, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the, uh, it, it will put that, um, proclamation to the test to say the least. So what will that do? What will it mean? Hey, it's equal both ways. Um, mm-hmm. but obviously when you're talking about two offenses who are really explosive, um, and, and Dan Landing pointed that out on Monday, um, talking about how both, Oregon and UCLA are both plus 31 in when you're talking about plays generated of 10 plus yards versus Mm -hmm. plays allowed of 10 plus yards. They're both at a plus 31 margin. Um, Now, yes, they get both of them. get a lot of that on the ground, but what part of what has made Oregon so much more of an explosive offense this year is that they're doing it in the air. Um, Mm -hmm. Needless to say, it gets a lot harder to do that when the conditions stink. Um, and having said that in my mind, I think in the battle of strength on strength, Mm -hmm. even if it's saying it's pretty much, um, even if you basically just start from the original position of, all right, well, therefore it's equal both ways, both are really run heavy. Uh, both would go that way and, uh, both would have a hard time and some varying degrees of success against really stout run defenses, right? But go back to my other point before of, well, yeah, but or I'm still going to say until somebody proves it otherwise that Oregon's offensive line is at a competitive advantage over any defensive front seven it plays all season, mm-hmm. during the regular season at least. So in that case, even on a battle of strength on strength, I, I give the edge to Oregon in that capacity. Um, if, if the rain makes it to where passing is just, you know, brutal um, and really, really difficult. Then in a battle of run games, I still take Oregon's run game. Even if if, if my choice of running back in a, in a right. proverbial fantasy mm-hmm. draft starts with Charbonnet, right. if I had Charbonnet behind Oregon's offensive line, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and don't, you know, for, for any UCLA fan out there listening, as I'm sure uh, uh, James will be retweeting this and sharing this and whatnot when we get around mm-hmm. to it, um, mm-hmm. don't take it as a shot at UCLA's offensive line. I'm just speaking to more to the strength of uh, how good Oregon's offensive line is. So if that holds, if that's the case, um, obviously, again, it would. S- I don't think anything will put a damper on what the environment inside the stadium will be from mm-hmm. a crowd standpoint. I think um, this game, having already been sold out well before it became top 10, well before it was about college game day, you know, all that, I, I don't think any condition um, would make for the in-stadium environment to be anything less than absolutely raucous. But I do think that particularly for those who are going to go to game day that morning, 
if it's raining all night uh, <laughs> through yeah. the through the broadcast, <laughs> um, that those people I can only hope will go home and change and uh, you know not walk in completely waterlogged uh, after that many hours because dang that would stink. Um, yeah, but. Other than that, truly, I, I think the environment will be great uh, from a, a um, crowd and environment standpoint. But in terms of environment by way of literally, um, you know, the weather and whatnot, yeah, yeah, if the forecast holds, it would put a relative damper on things um, in that sense. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, this is – at a game of this level and meaning, um, I, I think it would take a lot more than, you know, than rain to necessarily knock it off its – and it's access too much. I mean, there's too much on the line here. And I, I, I think too that like it's that's a it's a good point. I you know there's obviously so many factors and different things, but that's another thing. Like UCLA has only played one road game against Colorado. Colorado, you know, they have a decent crowd and stuff, but I mean the on-field play, you know, is obviously it's a different level when you're playing with Oregon. But now you're playing with the crowd. You know, Austin Stadium is, is considered one of the loudest in the country, and it's just. Uh, how is UCLA going to do in that? I think that's like one of the bigger questions, right? That's going to be one of the biggest things. Obviously, they're six and zero. You know, a lot of that's been at home. A lot, you know, people say the non-conference schedule hasn't been all that, but uh, not only do you have a tough opponent, a ranked opponent, but you're doing it outside of out of your comfort zone for whatever that's worth, um, considering everything that is the crowd sometimes at the Rose Bowl. But um, and and yeah. also, frankly, you know, as strange as it might be, you know, mm-hmm. if Again, if the conditions are as bad as as the forecast presently is as of Tuesday uh, afternoon here, um, mm-hmm. a uh, if if there is an advantage to that, hey, again, both teams have to play in it. No, no kidding. Uh, right. But I'm saying if there is an advantage at all beyond whatever you may think in terms of X versus Y by way of players and matchups. To your point, I think that favors Oregon ever yep. so slightly mm-hmm. because again, everyone's going to be standing around for hours. If they're standing around in the rain, if they're standing around getting wet, if it's cooler, if it's windy, whatever, okay. Well, if you're on the offensive line or on the offense for UCLA and you already got a brutal enough matchup in the first place, but you got capacity standing room only exceeding 54,000, that always sounds louder than that anyway, going ballistic and... You know, the, again, you, this this isn't a normal fall day uh, in mm-hmm. terms of conditions. This isn't warm. This isn't brisk. This is just plain crummy. If that's what the fork, if it if it holds true, yeah, I got to give the, the the slight edge to the home situation because they, oh, they you know their, their offense doesn't have to deal with the right. wall of sound. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. To, to add to it, like you know, you already feel kind of off, and then you know naturally you have home field advantage and those things too. So. Yeah. Uh, now, having said that, I say all that to say, you know, yeah. And last season when Oregon went on the road to Washington and the conditions were absolutely atrocious. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Except the one thing was that Washington's defense was not good against the run yeah. <laughs> at all. Um, it, it wasn't good at entering and it was worse leaving. Um, and Oregon's <laughs> offensive line was still at a competitive advantage walking in and they were even a, a bigger advantage walking out. Um, right. So that's the one different factor is it's like, oh, well, in that case, Washington would have had it. No, because Washington's defense wasn't any good against the run here. You know, UCLA still has something going for it in that regard. But yeah, um, I, obviously, I think both of us very much hoping for our own sakes, um, let alone for the players on the field that uh, and the fans in the stands, that uh, it, the, the forecast changes rapidly. Because um, because I, I even into the covering of a press box, I would prefer if it's not raining uh, all day long. Um, I would prefer very much for it to be uh, a little bit better conditions than that. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, 100%. I think another thing real quick, um, too, is like they, there just hasn't been a whole lot of injuries. So I'm kind of curious to know what, what the injury report looks like for you guys. But just over here for UCLA, there hasn't been a whole lot of injuries. Usually um, you're, you're a team, the Bruins are a team that are happy for a bye week because it gives them time to rest up on some guys or get some guys back. There hasn't been anyone who's been out for a significant period of time. The offense hasn't had to change because Dorian's been out. And hopefully I'm not jinxing this for anybody, honestly. But, um, it, it, yeah, it's just like everyone's been healthy. And that's been the biggest part of, of them being able to click and, and, and just be consistent is they've all been there. The same guys that were there from game one are still there, still playing. Um, no major injuries, which is which has kind of been surprising in that regard. Yeah, and that's and that's been largely true um, for Oregon as well. I say largely in that, so they've had a, a couple of defensive linemen um, who were further down the depth chart um, who've who've missed um, the whole season so far sure. um, with foot injuries, but um, and they haven't been back at practice back at practice yet. But um, at least one of them has been out of the the walking boot they were in earlier on. Um, but they, again, those were going to be at best kind of rotational players um, at this point. In the, you know, regardless, not that that means that their injuries are less, um, you know, burdensome sure. for for the young men. But 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 you know, we're not talking about starters necessarily. Um, there is one, uh, yes, starting interior defensive lineman in Popo Amavai who who um, could is expected to miss the season and and could seek an additional uh, year of eligibility from the NCAA. He's he's one of those uh, sixth year senior, you know. Fifth year seniors, six year senior mm-hmm. guys who could look for a seventh year, uh, potentially. So, um, that is one that the most significant in that regard, uh, because it's going to be a season long, uh, a starting offensive lineman and Stephen Jones, who's missed, uh, four games because of a, a foot injury. He's not going to be back this weekend, but it looks like he could be returning, um, you know, later on in the season. They missed a couple of guys, uh, against Arizona, but, uh, it, it beyond Jones. Um, but it sounds like uh, safety Brian Addison will be good to go this week. So they've gotten healthier off the bye week as both sides would. Um, and again, grand scheme of things, um, not certainly not uh, dismissing the injuries to, uh, to Jones and Amify in particular, but um, grand scheme of things, that's a pretty good healthy, you know, health report yep. and injury report for the season. Where, mm-hmm. all right, unfortunately, yes, one player, particularly a guy who's expecting this to be a senior season, all right, well, he may get a chance to come back, even if that wasn't originally the plan. Unfortunate, but particularly a position that they added a lot of depth in the offseason and brought in transfers and things, bolstered it up um, with Taki Taimani from Washington, with Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley from uh, Nebraska. They had a lot of depth there uh, to where that's already a talented and, and deep group, and they've been really effective. Offensive line, Jones was one of the guys, one of the five guys that returned. Um, they had, you know, basically seven of their top eight guys return. They've been mm-hmm. certainly able to overcome his injury the last month. Uh, and again, he may, ret- you know, they, they hope that he returns before the end of the season. So, long story short, not exactly, you know, completely unscathed, but, you know, compared to other times where you go, you know, a team is totally snake bitten by injuries and you just go yeah. like, my goodness, you know, they, they, they're down three linemen, they're down, you know, two guys in the secondary, they're down, a, you know, the leading receiver or something. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. not the case. Um, so they have been, you know, fortunate, yes, um, to, to some extent, uh, but not completely unscathed either. But yeah, in a pretty pretty fortuitous position as a whole. So, which again, that's not only what everyone wants because who wants to wish injuries on anybody, but mm-hmm. it's what everyone wants because you not only want that as, you know as a fan of your team out there, I would hope, but 
who wants to see the other team uh, diminished? You know, you want your team. You know, for for fans who are out there, you want your team to win, duh. But you also want your team's win to be as meaningful as possible, which means Mm -hmm. the opponent being at their absolute best. That's right. That's how you get to relish in it. You don't get to relish in it when you go, yeah, but that team was without. Then, then you know that that that, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that's that's how yeah. fans start. You know, start their online uh, you know arguments and and message board debates and Twitter space uh, <laughs> arguments about. Oh well, that was that win didn't matter because that team was yeah, without so and so. Well, no, you, you don't want to hear that. Um, no, no excuses. So yeah, ho- hopefully we will have no excuses uh, uh, by Saturday evening, James. Hopefully mm-hmm. we will both get to write stories no matter what the outcome is on the field, which I know neither one of us uh, you know particularly has a uh, certainly a, a sway or vested interest um, uh, by way of who wins and who loses. But regardless, right. hopefully we both get the right stories that uh, don't focus too much on the weather. <laughs> don't mention injuries. One team wins, one team loses, and hopefully, you know, a, a good time had by all kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, just just to see an excellent football game. Um, you know, again, it's it, it, it's hard to believe that this is only the 18th top 10 Pac-12 conference matchup in the last, yeah. you know, 36 years. Mm-hmm. But it is. So with that in mind, like, Truly appreciate what it is that we're going to get to see, um, and hope that it lives up to that because it should. Uh, and they, you know, fans deserve it, the programs deserve it, the players deserve it. Yeah, let's hope that you know the conference needs it. Uh, yeah, quite they frankly. do. So yeah, uh, do. let's let's hope that it let's hope that it delivers on that. No, I I agree. I couldn't say it uh, any better myself. There, good point. Again, for folks who uh, who don't follow him already, he is James H. Williams of the Orange County Register. Again, make sure to follow him on Twitter at JHW Reporter. Check out his stuff uh, at the OC Register. Uh, again, does a great job covering the Bruins. Appreciate you as always, James, and look forward to, uh, to seeing you again. No worries. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate it, James. You have a good one and be safe.